Hi friends, it's Angela here. We have another wide ranging episode today. I am excited to introduce you to this week's guest because we're going to be diving into fat loss, fasting, health optimization, how to deal with food cravings and the link between health and psychology. It's a really wide ranging episode, which I think you're going to love. But before we get into that, I have some exciting news to announce. So on the 13th of September, I am going to be hosting a fearless fat loss challenge for six weeks. And if you want to sign up to this, we get to spend six weeks together where I will personally coach you on how to become fearless and to how to create the best version of you and how to lose that excess weight that you may have been needing to lose. So if you want to take back control of your mindset, your body, your energy levels and your health, if you've been trying other ways to lose weight, including some fad diets and trends and they haven't worked, or maybe they've worked for a bit, but then the weight has come back on. And if you're ready now to change the way you think about your body and learn how to optimize your life and health for the best possible outcomes and step into a better version of you, then definitely go and check out my six-week Fearless Fat Loss Challenge. And you can do that by going to angelafosteracademy.com forward slash fearless hyphen fat hyphen loss. And if you go on there and secure your spot before the 31st of August, you're going to get a much sweeter deal because the price goes up in September. And you're going to get weekly coaching with me personally. You're going to get personalized um, fitness program. You're going to get a nutrition plan. You'll get a 20 minute one-to-one call. You're going to get weekly check-ins, a private community of other people also trying to lose weight and become fearless. And just to make the whole thing kind of more exciting and fun, I'm also going to be selecting a grand prize winner together with two runners-up. And the grand prize winner will receive my 12-week flagship Live Younger Longer Blueprint, which is a complete blueprint to optimizing your health and longevity. The winner will also get a circle DNA test, which is one of the most world, one of the world's most advanced DNA tests that you can buy. Um, you'll get a one-to-one coaching consultation with me if you win. And you'll also get my favorite biohackers sleep stack from Wild Kingdom Mushrooms. I'll be giving away a um, pair of premium blue light blocking glasses and a Manta sleep mask. So you're going to get my favorite sleep stack so that you can sleep like a baby every single night. And so you've got to be in it to win it, guys. So if you are wanting to lose the excess weight, And you want to create a very empowering mindset because I have found with working with so many clients, that's one of the key things that holds so many people back. Then get ready to step into the new best version of you. All you need to do is go to AngelaFosterAcademy.com forward slash fearless hyphen fat hyphen loss. And I'd love to see you in there. Because you can't interrupt the process when the process is complete, right? Because that just leads to a cycle of you being like, I did it again. Here we go again. I'm a terrible person. I'm always like this. I can never change. So we have to be like, okay, what was the one tiny little step before I opened the ice cream? What happened there? What triggered that? And it's the same as the cause stuff that I was talking about with cancer. You know, you peel the onion to the point that you get to a situation where the stimulus, the trigger, the cue happens and you're like, I know what unfolds. 
Welcome to the High Performance Health Podcast with your host, Angela Foster. The show where we talk about everything you need to break through limits and achieve a high performance mind, body and lifestyle. So now let me introduce you to today's guest. It is the wonderful Matty Lansdowne. I had the great pleasure of going on Matty's show, How to Not Get Sick and Die. And we just had so much fun chatting together that I couldn't wait to invite him back onto my show. Matty is a scientist and a nutrition consultant with a passion for sharing the truth. He started out on Facebook Live ranting about food is medicine and nutritional therapies, which then moved into seminars, retreats and conferences in front of thousands. And now he has his growing podcast, How to Not Get Sick and Die. And the aim for Matty has always been to have people feeling like they're in control of their own health and empowered to take the necessary action. And after 10 years of study, research and experimentation, Matty has worked to become a prolific voice in the health, nutrition and diet space, including food is medicine, body detoxification, energy optimization, and weight loss. And his aim really is to empower individuals to live their best life. And so he delivers scientific training through stories and metaphors that allow you to live a highly energetic life, increase your productivity, lose a few kilos in the process if you need to, and do the things that you used to do without having to stare at the number on the scales. So you're going to learn so much in this episode. We dive into fasting, we dive into fat loss, we dive into food cravings, health optimization and longevity and so much more. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to Matty. So I have an exciting interview today. I've just been chatting away with Matty Lansdowne, who is a scientist and nutritionist. He's podcast host of the How Not to Get Sick and Die podcast, and he's also a very eminent public speaker. Um, He is a fountain of knowledge. I could talk to you forever. Welcome to the show, Matty. It's amazing to have you here today. Thanks, Angela. I appreciate the uh, invite to join you. I'm excited. I'm excited too. So let's kind of track back a bit because you have so much expertise that I want to dive into on today's show. But do you want to share with the listeners how you kind of came into this? Because I know you're a scientist as well as a nutritionist. Um, you've worked um, in, in many fields, including cancer for some time. How did you come into this profession initially? Yeah, so I guess the the usual path to this profession for many people is basically the system failing them in the beginning, they either had a chronic illness or some type of problem that they were told we can't really do much and they went searching and, you know, found solutions and were inspired to sort of, you know, work in that field. Whereas for me, I'm very fortunate with my health. I really haven't had too much go wrong personally. Things here and there, you know, I mean, at university, I was 21 and drank beer and ate pasta for four years and my gut health suffered, but I was young enough to be able to turn that around, right? But but for me, it was actually a bit of a different journey in the sense that, um, as you mentioned, I, I worked in the cancer hospital and I worked in a few different Western medical industries. And for me, it, I just a light bulb just went off one day after working at the hospital, being in a meeting, being in a, um, a mortality meeting that we did every single Monday and just realizing nobody had ever talked about where these people got their cancer from, where the cause had happened and that it was just all about you know, treatment, basically chemo, radiation, surgery, 
and send them on their merry old way. And for me, I didn't really get into that industry with any type of ego to be a cancer scientist or to cure cancer. Um, I was just at that, I was young enough. It was just like, this is just the next job. So, I didn't sort of get in my own way like I think many egos do in many fields. They're sort of blind to the logic that's right in front of them because they're worried about their career or the stats or whatever it might be. And so, for me, I was just like, and I asked my professor, like, you know, where does this come from? And he was like, he literally said, it's not not our job to know. We're meant to fix the problem. Um, And I was like, oh, okay. But this was early on. And I just ended up doing my own research outside of the hospital and looking into the the history of cancer, the war against cancer and what that meant. And that, that led me down a deep, dark rabbit hole of the history of the pharmaceutical industry and the whole concept of symptom management. And, and whilst uh, the industry was created with the idea of acute medicine uh, and you know emergency medicine, it, that logic being applied to long-term chronic disease does very little. And we know that because so many people are so unwell and relapse is almost guaranteed, whether it be cancer, whether it be diabetes, and a lot of the drugs that you're given just maintain your state of disease. They don't actually reverse it. Um, And so, that led me down a a rabbit hole as well that was like, okay, so what caused it? How can we reverse it? How can we go back to the body that didn't have that? And so, that led me into people's kitchens, basically. So, it was not in the hospital. In the hospital was where the, the treatment for the symptoms were, not the change of the cause. And so, you know, going out the front door and into people's homes, you realize that, you know, that one of the biggest precursors to all chronic disease is being overweight and obese. And so, then you go, okay, that's, that's that layer. What caused that? And then what causes that is nutrition diets that are inappropriate for the human body most of the time. And so, you go, okay, so let's eat different things. And as you said, I've done a lot of public speaking and I've never spoken to an audience that didn't know good food was a good idea. Vegetables, meat, grass-fed, organic, everybody knows that's great. And so, the next layer of that is the behavior. You know, the behavior is to why do we eat what we eat? Why do we live stressful lives? Why do we not prioritize self-care? And then that all comes down to the psychology. And so, I kind of got into this industry on the nutrition side and food as medicine side because I was just angry that Western medicine wasn't providing the tools to fix the problem permanently. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think the frustrating thing for both of us really, and I see this in in, in clients that come to see me that have had problems with things like cancer, because it is so common, is they're looking for answers. Like they're trying to find out, why did I get cancer? Like what happened to make my body have that level of dysfunction, right? And how can I importantly prevent it again? But all we're focusing on in the medical industry is the great stats of, look, we've managed to treat it and this person's still alive, but not how, as you say, can we prevent it again? Um, And I think obesity, is a real risk. And I think that there are people who are struggling, aren't there, just generally across the board with with their weight. And one of the things I've noticed is, you know, no one really gets obese eating broccoli. However, they may have put on, they may have put on a substantial amount of weight. And what happens is their body then reaches a sticking point. And I'm sure you've come across this a lot. And I think it'd be helpful for people listening because I don't think it really matters what body composition you have now, whether you're obese or you're really lean. Chances are you're listening, even if it's a pound or two, you probably feel at least some point during the course of the year that you're not in top physical condition that you would like to be because it's 
it's hard to maintain that ultimate, isn't it? Um, and so I guess for people listening is when you've gained a certain amount of work, a weight, you can look back on that journey and think, okay, this diet got me here. But then you reach a sticking point and they can start eating healthily. And I find you have to mix things up quite a bit because people will lose a certain amount of weight and then they reach a plateau. And then you've got to change things again before you can release more weight. And the body can become quite stingy about it. And that's a frustrating time for many people. What have you found there are some of the key things that can help people overcome those blocks? Yeah, I think you raise a really good point of the plateau um, because a lot of people, you know, they fear the plateau. And actually, it's kind of your, in, your genetic intelligence playing out, right? Is the body is an adaption machine. Like we, uh, that, that's what builds our biological resilience is that we can adapt to things. And so when we introduce a new diet, the body does as fast as it can, figures out a way to run all of this with all of the extra pounds and the kilos to run this show on the current diet. And, it's, and it adapts really fast for some diets. And so I like the, the sort of quote that the longer the adaptation phase, the more stable your stability of that sort of diet. And so I have a, an approach when whenever introducing a new diet or even single food at a time that it's one tweak a week. So if you dive in on Monday, like diet culture says, on Monday, you got to go buy $400 of organic broccoli and only eat that for the next eight weeks. And when you come in with such a radical change, the body will essentially freak out and just be like, well, all right, we're not changing anything because something's going wrong here. The incoming sort of, you know, food and nutrition is not what it used to be. Something's changed. So we're going to preserve these resources and any extra bit of calorie or nutrient, we're just going to add it into storage. And so there might be an initial drop in the first few days or even weeks, um, and then the body will adapt really fast. And so I think that's one of the things that a lot of people have done over the years time and time again, because they are unhappy with their body and they're not happy with where they're at. And that's totally okay. We're all human and we all have those feelings. And the, the brain is wired for efficiency. So when we see a shortcut in marketing and advertising that's like, I want to go from here to here and this ad says that it'll happen in six weeks, the brain's looking for shortcuts all the time because it wants to be more efficient with its energy. So we're like, let's do that. No matter how much data we've got on I know that's not going to work, but I just want to do it more efficiently. And so after years and years of doing that, we have told our genetics that we don't know what's going on. And so we've got this nutritional like lack of predictability in our gen genes from a nutritional perspective. And so we get to this point where we may maybe enter our 40s or 50s where we've done it 5, 10, 15, 20 times. So we've given our genetics signals, major signals each Monday that we started a new thing in a really you know direct way that hey there's we can't over the last 20 years we've been in situations where we thought starvation might be coming so we've turned preservation genetics on and then maybe the body started to relax from that and then it was bang onto the next one so we we doubled down and then we tripled down and then and it gets to the point where yeah getting rid of and unlocking those those extra pounds and kilos becomes really challenging because the body's like hey we don't trust you at all like We've been on this roller coaster for the last 20 years of maybe there's food. There's now there's lots of food. Like what's going on? So we're going to keep hold of everything. And so I think the strategy to release that is to build nutritional predictability into your genome. And you do that by being consistent over a long period of time and making really small changes. 
And basically when people, whenever you, you're signing up to a new six, eight, 12 week thing, I always, and with my own clients, I always say, okay, what do you want to do? And most people say, lose 30 kilos. Okay. I say, okay, we've got 12 weeks together. How long did it take to accumulate that 30 kilos? Right. And most people say, I don't know, 20 years, 18 years. And I'm like, okay, so we're at the top of the mountain. We spent 20 years walking up the mountain and you want to go down the same mountain in 12 weeks. We just got to pace it a little bit. So one tweak a week. And I think building that predictability into your biology will regain the trust of your system so that it'll start doing what it's meant to do and start releasing that excess energy. I couldn't agree more. I think that you've, you've just put that so perfectly. And I think that's the thing as well, is that when you go on any form of crash diet, even if it's some kind of extreme fasting protocol, um, your body adapts quite quickly to that. And that's the new normal. And you lose what we call metabolic flexibility because now you cannot indulge anymore and have fun and have the odd night out without your body then gaining weight. And that's the really upsetting thing for people, isn't it? Because you often see that with the preparation for holidays is they'll have a lot of fat loss. They go on holiday, they start having the cocktails, the nice dinners and feel like they've come back and put everything back on and more. And it's because presumably the body's like, it's kind of celebrating, right? Yay, we're back to the old ways now. I can just do what I used to do. Um, I kind of, I mock it a bit, but it is, it is difficult. And I agree with you. I think it's the predictability and it's no different is it it's like nobody got rich overnight unless you won the lottery it is about small steps taken consistently over time that will get you there and and food is no different um absolutely let's talk about the because this is a really like within your realm of expertise and this is this is something people really struggle with we know what to do right as you say we know what food is healthy um this audience listening is very well educated on that as well so why do we do what we do when we know what we know (laughs) and why can't we stop ourselves sometimes that's a big question right I think it's because we're permanently in this cycle of confirming what we believe to ourselves and so we're in in this never-ending loop and and whenever we do do something that's a bit out of character we really rapidly bring it back into what we believe who we believe we are and so when we have a belief of who we are and everybody listening to this episode has rules for their existence. They might have never written them down or even thought about them. And many of the clients I work with have never thought about the rules of their existence, but we have rules that each individual person runs themselves by. And those rules essentially produce your personality because your personality sort of plays within these boundaries. And so if you if you behave in a way that is outside of these boundaries, that tells your nervous system and your brain, hey, that's not that was out of the rules. You've got to come back over here. So when we get into this cycle of maybe not, you know, honoring a better version of ourselves or a healthy version of ourselves, and we become, we build these rules, which is uh, when I'm tired, I order takeout or, you know, whatever it might be that doesn't build a healthy body. When we do try and do a new nutritional change or a diet, we're acting in a way that's outside of these rules and boundaries that we've created for our mind and our nervous system. And so that's why it's so hard to, to maintain a new behavior because you're behaving outside of the rules of your existence. And you might have rule, like all of us have rules, the way we behave in a relationship, the way that we behave when we're around colleagues, the, the person we are at work, and it's tied to our identity. So we might identify um, like lots of the people I work with are mothers and they identify as essentially the leader. I do everything, I've got it covered, I'm a busy person. And that's their psychology about who they are. And the second that they get, uh, you know, time to themselves, which we try and one tweak a week, try and slowly build it in to their new rules, 
you know, they get like, whoa, okay, I've taken 10 minutes for myself and I'm freaking out. And that's because we're, we're introducing a new behavior that doesn't fit within these rules of your own identity. And that's why dietary change is so hard because, you know, we can flick through Instagram and beat ourselves up because we're not like those people. The difference is that they just have a different set of rules for their life and you can mm. change the rules yourself, but it's the same with the nutritional stuff and your body letting go of fat. If you rapidly make a change, you will act defensively and slingshot back in. So you, essentially, I like to think about it like you're a fork in a road and one is like a paved highway, that the old you, the, the rules for the person you have been, and you've done it so many times that this road is so safe, so predictable, so familiar. But you're deciding, say, between ordering a pizza or cooking, you know, a healthy salad, you know. And over here, it's like, you know, there's some trees over the road. There's, it's not even concrete or tar. It's just like it's a bush track. And you're like, that doesn't look very safe. So, of course, the default option is to go with the safe, familiar option and I'll just be the new me tomorrow. And we know tomorrow never comes. So, you got to start really small. And I, I like to encourage people to start, you know, behave, changing your identity is the way that you will stay accountable to a healthier version of yourself. So, I like to position it as, you know, your higher self or honoring your new identity. And so, we write new rules for who that person's going to be. And we start really small. And whether it be 10 minutes at a time or one meal in the week even like just beginning to play outside of those bounds and making sure that it's always done from a place of exploration and curiosity because if you come from a place place of deprivation or restriction you're going to beat yourself up for that you're going to be like oh this is gross i don't i feel like i'm being you know like i'm being taught uh, or guided but like i'm a child and i'm silly and i'm playing in the rules and we want we all want control of who we are and the decisions we make so it's about instead of being like oh I've got to go and be the healthy person. It's like, oh, I, I, I wonder what that'll be like, you know? I wonder how I'll behave. And you know what? If it doesn't, doesn't go well, I can just come back and be me, right? And so, it's this curiosity that we have to venture out into this new higher self and just experiment, just try it on. Like you're putting on, you know, a, a new jacket and you're like, oh, I'm just going to try and be this person for 10 minutes and I'll go back to that in a sec. It's, it's okay, it's there. Um, and then you try it on, you experience it and you just start... Just start introducing your nervous system and your brain to the idea that things could be different in a positive way rather mm. than being forced, you know, to be someone that you don't want to be. We have to change the psychology behind that. And it's the same with the, the weight loss stuff. You know, we've got to introduce this new identity slowly over time because you will reject it if you are not, if you are thrown in the deep end and too many variables are changing. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, I One of the exercises that I find quite powerful and I and I do myself and I do with people is when you're creating that version of yourself that you want is actually to write down all of the things like in one piece of paper, all of the things that you don't like about yourself and those behaviors. And that could include, you know, when I'm tired, I just go straight to the fridge um, or the snack cupboard, you know, and then you write down all of the things that you, the values and the um, attitudes that you, some of which you have and some that you'd like to embody. And then you take the one that you don't like and you literally physically burn it. It's kind of like a message to your subconscious that you're doing away with that. And then you keep looking at the ones that you do want to, because you're then, as you say, you're kind of guided by that person that you now want to be, which is this higher version of yourself, isn't it? Which is, mm -hmm. does that person who is a really healthy weight um, and is fit and is protecting their, not just their lifespan, but their health span, 
do they go and eat the whole tub of ice cream or do they occasionally mm. have a serving and really, really enjoy it, but without guilt? Because I think that's the other thing, isn't it? Is I don't know if you find this is you will, there's no faster way to basically avoid achieving your goals, to, to just completely decimate your goals than guilt and shame. And that's the worst thing. And that's why I don't encourage people to weigh themselves first thing in the morning, because if you get the wrong weight, which let's be honest, as a woman is going to happen very regularly across the month, she's going to have water retention and things at different times. You can easily step on there and be two, four pounds over what you wanted. And now the whole day is transformed. And if you see that you're definitely, you're much less likely to comply with those new behaviors that we were talking about and that you explained there, because you're more likely to be as crazy as it is driven by that subconscious imprinting of like, what the hell with it? Who cares anyway? It doesn't matter. I'll just, I'll just do it today. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And you touched on something there, which is important to share too, is when you mentioned the ice cream, it triggered a memory for me is that mo the only bit of the process that most people and probably most people listening to this, but or maybe your listeners are more familiar with this mindset stuff, but the only piece of the journey that people are f usually familiar with is catching themselves with the ice cream they don't know how they got there right and they, and so when they, when they're on instagram comparing themselves or when they're weighing themselves all the only bit they remember is like i feel shit now right and so one of the things that i i, I try to help people is first few weeks we don't try and t change a single thing i'm going to teach you how to observe yourself so that we can collect data because you can't interrupt the process when the process is complete right because mm -hmm. that just leads to a cycle of you being like i did it again here we go again i'm a terrible person i'm always like this i can never change so we have to be like okay what was the one tiny little step before i opened the ice cream what happened there what triggered that and it's the same as the cause stuff that i was talking about with cancer you know you peel the onion to the point that you get to a situation where the stimulus the trigger the cue happens and you're like i know what unfolds i know where this goes and this happens and then this will happen and this will happen then ice cream. And mm. then you can do something about it because you're at that fork in the road consciously. Most people, because we've never, you know, we've never worked with them to teach them this, is that most people just blindfold on, walk straight down the, the perfectly paved highway, right? And, and then they're like, oh, I'm here again. But we need to learn all of the signs and experiences and feelings and emotions that come up before then so we can stop and be like, whoa, okay. I, this is the point that I can change this. Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful and so true. Um, and that that's actually something interestingly when you talk about that. That was a process I had to go through when I was overcoming depression was to really analyze my thoughts. Because as you were saying, the well-trodden path is the easy route, isn't it? It's there. It's almost like if you think of a field and there's really, really long grass and then there's a path that everybody has trampled down. It's so much easier to walk along that one than to forge the new one. But if you forge it and create a new one, over time that path will become as well-trodden and the grass grows back over the old path but initially it requires huge amounts of energy to get there and you the, the first step in that fork in the road and choosing that path as you say is along the way understanding what those thoughts were and i i found it very helpful to physically write down what the thought was and how i was feeling right because when you go to the fridge and you're about to take out the ice cream often it's um a lack of love that you're feeling in one form or another. It could be something someone said to you. It could be anything really. And if you can actually find a way of, of, of finding that emotion in you and, and getting that need met, 
separately, whether you call a friend, you go and hug your dog or your child or your partner if they're there, um, or if you're on your own, you phone a friend, suddenly yeah. you're getting a different mechanism, but you've, you've understood. And as you say, the power is understanding why you did it in the first place. Totally. And with the love comment as well, it, you know, we, we all know that willpower is a finite resource. Self-love, if you can nail that, that's infinite. Like that doesn't end. No, it doesn't. You're right. You're right. And that, and that as, you, as we're saying as well, comes with never shaming yourself, right? Always knowing that you're never more than one thought or one step away from getting back on track. It's as simple as that. Like the whole day doesn't have to be ruined because you made one wrong choice. You can literally in any given moment get back on track. Totally. I like to, um, in order for people to start sort of not be, being their thoughts, I like to talk about it like helium balloons and watching the helium balloons come up and holding them in each hand of like, you know, the, this, the negative feeling or the positive feeling and, and being like, I can actually let go of that one and watch it disappear rather than it, it, you know, being victim to it inside your body. I try and get people to externalize it a bit in, in, with visualization and be like, here's the options. You know, I can choose to be and experience these and there's behaviors that can facilitate either of those. I could yell and get angry and do this or I could maybe take one minute of breath work to start fostering the positive and the negative, we can just let that helium balloon go and just take a moment to let it disappear into the clouds. Yeah. Yeah. That's so powerful. I love that exercise. It's brilliant. Amazing like, visualization. I found as well, like, you know, when you set your intentions for the day in the morning, that's so powerful. Something I've, I've began to do now is um, before I write out my capture list or my to do's um, mm -hmm. is actually to write out my to be's because I think I that's really helpful. And it kind of really focuses you because whatever you're doing at work, you can think, well, how do I want to show up today to really make a difference to people? But also with my own family, it's like, how do I want to show up as a mother today? You know, how do I want to show up as the best wife I can be? Um, and I find that that's really centering and it guides you actually, if you've done it first thing in the morning, it guides those decisions and it will guide those healthy choices um, as well. Because really what we're talking about is changing your internal paradigm, aren't we? And reprogramming your subconscious so that it now becomes the healthy behavior becomes automatic. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's funny you say that. I have a, a folder here and I do, I read my affirmations every single morning and the, the two Bs as well. I do something similar. And, you know, and a lot of people sort of at some of these practices, if you're new to the self-development journey, a lot of these things are sound a bit woo-woo or a bit like, Oh, so reading sentences is going to change my life, is it? The truth is that all the stuff we talk about is maybe 1% or 5% or a 10%. It's about fitting the pieces of the puzzle together in a way that works for you. And that will be different for everyone. Affirmations might be a 50% of the puzzle for somebody. It might be 2% for you, but it's about doing all of the things to, to reframe that paradigm for yourself. And, and any high performer will tell you that the power of 1% is huge, particularly when it's compounded. So even if it is that small, compounded every day, it's very powerful. Um, yeah. Let's talk about some of the more functional aspects now, because I think they're important. I was looking at one of your, your talks when you were talking about sleep and people waking up in the morning and, and feeling tired and the impact that their detoxification pathways, which also play a role in weight loss, for example, um, as well. 
what what have you found there so first because many people listening i think there are so many people that do struggle you know they feel like they're not well rested and this can be for a variety of reasons it could be they haven't slept well um but also i think that detoxification pathways have such an incredible impact on the health of our hormones our mitochondria what have you found here um in terms of energy levels and the way people feel in that regard yeah, so I mean, the body's got obviously a number of detoxification pathways, and that can be going to the toilet, sweating, you know, obviously your liver is your biggest detoxification organ. And you often hear as well, you know, well, you know, why do I need to worry about detox? I've got a liver. Um, and the answer to that is that we are in an infinitely toxic world, and your liver is just one liver. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people um, that don't sweat very well often have a clogged liver. Um, and when your detoxification pathways aren't working correctly, that is a burden on your metabolic processes because it's, it's just like imagine you know driving your car normally and it feeling like you're dragging a trailer basically because these these de uh, toxicants that come from your you know your kitchen from your your cleaning items if you live in a city breathing in brake dust which is just in the air abundantly in cities um which is you know and that those molecules are literally only released through sweat um so if you don't sweat enough or you don't go to the gym or you don't do saunas you know they're building up in your system and these are toxic metals which can cause all sorts of disruptions in your body can take the place of other molecules um and the impact on sleep is obviously when you go to sleep uh you, your body should be in a state where it's not full. So then, then we get into a conversation about the timing of your final meal uh, because a lot of people, especially when it comes to Friday and Saturday night, it's kind of hard to avoid, you know, going to bed on a full stomach. Um, and that's the time when your body should be in recovery. And you should normally for most people, and it's different for some people, but a normal process in the morning or the, you know, not necessarily first thing, but is to go to the toilet, detoxify from the day before basically. But, if we're going to bed on a full stomach, we're interrupting a lot of the processes that happen at night uh, and those being, you know, your basic immune functions, the body making sure that everything, uh, if you've been to the gym the day before, everything's in check and being checked over and repaired and muscle growth is happening. But if you're filling yourself up, your body's not focusing on the immune things. It's not getting up and doing its normal detoxification process. And we're just loading more toxins on top of that as well. And as you said before, um, we were talking about fat loss and the body being stingy is that the more of these toxins we put into the body. So the body is a great, um, it's really smart because it puts not only fat into fat stores, but it also puts nutrition. However, in a toxic world, it also stores toxins in there. And so if the toxins in your fat cells are really high, another way that the body will protect you from those toxins is to not release the fat. And actually, a really common thing that men get when they when they go on a fat loss journey, um, and some women too, but mainly men, is uh, gout. They get gout from uric acid, and uric acid is um, a, a symptom or a byproduct of melting down triglycerides out of fat storage. And so, you know, it's it's that these toxins that are actually held in the body, and your body's trying to protect you from them, so it makes fat loss harder. Um, and, and therefore, when you do release them, you can be like, oh this diet's not for me or getting skinny sucks when it's actually your body trying to detoxify these things. And there's this, just this added level of struggle or pain that you're going through. But once that those toxins get out, things will feel much better, but we are in a very toxic world. So regular detox uh, processes, saunas, making sure that your gut health is good so that you're going to the toilet, getting a number four on the Bristol chart, um, you know, is ideal for everybody.
Yeah, absolutely. And do you give, um, are there specific supplements that you recommend during that process if somebody, you're aware that they need to kind of help their detoxification pathway? So apart from doing things like sweating, moving, mm-hmm. sauna, um, and, and ensuring good gut health and elimination, are there specific supplements that you recommend to help them? It would, it would depend on the individual. I mean, binders are always a really good idea, but it depends, um, like it depends if somebody was, you know, somebody that didn't sweat very well, we might need to open up some different pathways compared to people that aren't releasing fat or compared to people that are not, you know, clearing their gut properly or that their, you know, their poop isn't right. So it would depend mostly on the individual. I wouldn't say that there was a sort of go-to detox supplement that I would use for everybody. But binders being things like charcoal, for example. Yeah. 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 Which you have to be careful as well with, don't you? Because if you haven't got good gut elimination, it can actually make you a bit constipated, which is not what you want. Yeah, absolutely. And and the catch-22 with, with binders and things like charcoal too is that they often bind the good stuff too. So timing is really important, making sure that you don't have those binders and charcoal with another handful of supplements because they won't connect anything out of your body. They'll just, you know, escort the supplements that you want out of your body. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And also medications. If you are taking any medications, probably not the uh, the best time. Um, and I think as well, I find, you know, just stimulating that lymphatic flow with things like rebounding. So jumping up and down or using a body brush. I think people often forget it's important. The lymph doesn't have that pump like the heart yeah. um, to get it going. But it is. We are the pump. <clears throat> We are the pump, exactly. Well, and deep breathing can be really good for that. The diaphragms are really useful pump for the lymphatic system. So breath work can be really useful if you have any physical limitations. But absolutely, physical movement, exercise is really, really good to get that moving around. I think exercise is um, is one of the most wonderful things. We just the more and more you read about it, like it is just it is. I think apart from what you're eating, what you're putting in, and your stress levels, it is one of the the most wonderful ways of protecting your longevity. Like even just looking at the places like the blue zones, just that low level activity of, you know, riding their bicycles instead of using so much cars um, and walking everywhere. Yes, that may not give you the body composition results you were looking for, but it really, really assists in longevity. And it's again, just so that concept of just walking is just so underrated, I think. Oh, I totally agree. And and it's about, you know, setting up your exercise for what's right for your personality too. I think a lot of people like the Instagram effect, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I should be doing crunches every day and in the gym and wearing my yoga pants and, you know, looking amazing. But if you're someone that's, you know, thrives off being social and you love sport, you know, like go and join a sport with people your age that have got your goals and do that. Like, you know, if you're trying to be someone that doesn't suit you know, the rules of your identity, then you will inevitably rely on willpower, which will inevitably run out. So I think that, yeah, managing your exercise in a way that's, that actually makes you happy and doesn't, isn't like forcing yourself to be someone you're not. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to be fun. Otherwise, you're not going to do it, right? Totally. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And also doing I mean, a sport it's the like one antidepressant, right? Exercise. It's the number one antidepressant. It's the only thing that I'd say really, really helped me when I was um, depressed. And I used to force myself to do it because it was the endorphins, which is it was when you're depressed, actually exercise feels incredibly difficult, but you know that yes. you, 
need to do it. But yeah, it is the most powerful antidepressant. And I think just for keeping your mind, as you say, on track all of the time, if you feel in any kind of fog, that if you get up and just move around and go and do something. Um, mm. So before we, before you go, what would be your top three tips to anyone listening if they want to enhance their overall health and, and longevity? What would be your top three things? Top three, okay. Um, number one would be introduce offal or organs into your diet. Um, the nutritional value of those far exceeds basically anything else that you can put on your plate and you can hide them in things super easily. I found a new hack to hide them in things because they're not always the most tasteful things, but you can literally get them out of the freezer, wait about 10 minutes and grate them into tiny little pieces and you can just hide them in meals full of spice, don't even taste them. So um, that's a really good way. You can even supplement you know, beef's liver and stuff like that these days. So from a nutritional standpoint, I think that there's not much that compares to um, animal organs to eat for nutritional value. Um, the second thing, I'm pretty passionate about fasting and intermittent fasting because not necessarily as a weight loss tool, but I think after working in a chronic disease setting, one of the things that I realized with um, being overweight and obese being the major contributor to all disease was that we're eating too much too often. And it's not just about putting it into fat stores, but our gastrointestinal tract, gums to bum, doesn't mm. actually get much of a break over 70 years. And so we get to this state where we're like, of course, everything's dysfunctional. You haven't given it even 12 hours off in 70 years, right? So I'm really passionate about giving our gut time to recover, repair, um, and, and, you know, getting, uh, you've got to have the right nutrition to go with that intermittent fasting or that fasting window, because otherwise you're going to be hungry. You're going to be an angry person. So you've got to eat right in the feeding window. But I think the repair autophagy and recover, gut health recovery that happens from giving your body a break either a couple of times a week or even every single day for a period is really, really beneficial. There's also obviously weight loss, ketosis conversations and whatever, but my primary aim with people is to get them feeling clear and, and, and you, with that comes more clarity. The body's not digesting and a lot of people are like, whoa, you know, I didn't even realize I could function at this level because I haven't not had something in my stomach digesting for like 35 years. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, the mental clarity. Do you have a period of fasting that you recommend for people? Like is it different for men versus women? Mm -hmm. I think women need to be slower about the way that they implement it um, and at different times of their cycle, uh, like the first two weeks when you're in estrogen dominant phase, it's probably easier. Uh, progesterone going up in the second two makes it a little more challenging and obviously that's the period when cravings are most prominent for many people. But I would say, yeah, for women need to be slower about it. But as per the identity stuff and the way that we change our behavior with nutrition and identity, it's all, I'm always going to default to the one tweak a week because you don't want to diet culture your metabolism back into the same problem you've already got. So, you know, wherever you're at today and anyone listening, wherever you're at today, next week just needs to be a 30-minute change, right? Mm -hmm. and, and from there, do that for a week or two, another 30 minutes, might be 60 minutes. Guys are a little more resilient because we're on a 24-hour clock, not a 28-day clock. Um, and so... So, you know, I think, yeah, just women need to be a little safer about it, but don't jump in the deep end. That's when your body's going to freak out, your thyroid's going to reduce its function, you know, all of those things are going to happen. So I don't have a specific thing because everybody's starting from somewhere different, but move the needle just one, one, one uh, hour, half an hour at a time. 
Yeah, that's great advice. And on the um, on the offal, do you know what I've just been trying? Actually, it's, it's a company on Instagram that sent to me. Is it's called Pluck, and it's seasoning, and it's offal. They've basically made salt out of offal, and it tastes yes. amazing. And you and it, my kids don't know, but we've been sprinkling. Like if we make my boys a steak for sometimes they have steak for breakfast, this Pluck yeah. seasoning is being sprinkled on top, and just trying to get it in them in different ways. But when you mix that with a bit of pink Himalayan salt or obviously like hand harvested or something like Redmond Reel and some black pepper. It just tastes incredible. The, la- the Labrador's always waiting in the wings to see if he's going to get his share. Um, but that's quite a I good way to see. I huh? collaborate with a chef here in Australia, Veronica Smith Whole Foods. Um, and when she puts um, offal in and, what, and heart and different things into her meals for her family, she'll be like, tonight we had sneaky burgers. Or we had sneaky spaghetti bolognese, you know, so <laughs> they don't And they know. don't and they don't notice it. Um it was I think it was um Dr. James Dean Calantonio that I was interviewing and he said just put twenty-five percent offal with your yeah. ground beef and then you can just yeah. make up like a bolognese or whatever you're making just the same. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it doesn't take much spice to know like you barely notice a difference at all. Yeah, amazing. So offal, fasting, and yeah. then your third one. Number three is really basic. But the base, getting the basics right will get you 80% of the way to where you want to go. And that's water intake. Most people's water intake is so much lower than it should be. In Australia, the average person drinks about a litre a day and the recommendation is about 2.5 litres a day. Now, it's going to be different for everybody where you sit naturally, but a lot of hunger is mistaken, mistakenly interpreted as hunger by the brain when it's actually, you know, water totally, you know, cures that that feeling. And so what I've found is that a lot of people can boost their water intake and their energy levels go through the roof because they're actually giving all of the, their body's cells um, what it needs. An interesting little fact is that when you put body uh, water into your body, that your spinal fluid is actually the last part of your body to get topped up. So if you're so- somebody that has had back injuries for years recurring, you might be in a situation where you haven't consumed enough water for your for that water to have gotten all the way around to your back and to your spine for like 20 years. And so, of course, we've got these recurring in- injuries. And yet, and that's only one variable of it, of course, but it's just highlighting the importance that every one of your cells need to be, needs to be replenished. And, and just a little bit of, oh, I'm thirsty, so I had a swig kind of thing doesn't nourish your 37 to 78 trillion cells that need to replace their water content. So I would yeah encourage people to prioritize water intake because nailing those basics gets you a lot of the way there. Yeah, it absolutely does. And do you recommend that if they're drinking more water, they do remineralize? So anything yeah. like Kinton, for example, in the morning, particularly if they've been, you know, they're doing anything sweaty, what, what do you recommend there? Just so they're not diluting. I mean, Totally. So, uh, I mean, any type of electrolyte drink that's not loaded with sugar. So, if it's a fluorescent color, it's probably not good for you. It's probably dangerous. In the wild, we learned that like bright yellow frogs were not a good idea to eat because they're poisonous. So, it's pretty pretty similar with sports drinks. If they're fluorescent, it's not ideal. Um, but yeah, electrolyte powders, um, you can even just add um, table salt or Himalayan salt into your water when you're going to the gym. Um, San Pellegrino is, you know, in the green glass bottles is a really good option. And I'd always recommend San Pellegrino because there was a study done actually comparing all the major brands of the mineral water um, and San Pellegrino had the lowest degree of toxins um, in them compared to other brands, So, yeah, um, which is good to know. 
Um, and yeah, and always glass bottles too, because those plastic bottles can leach the you know carcinogens and endocrine disruptors. But but yeah, so definitely um, you know keeping the electrolytes up at the same time as keeping the water content up is definitely a good idea. Having said that, we can get lots of great electrolytes from a diversity of nutrition. So making sure that your plate is colourful and diverse will will also load you up with lots of good electrolytes throughout the day. And what are your thoughts with like something like pink coconut water? Because it is obviously got natural sugars, but it's full of electrolytes. Would you reserve that for say post-workout or do you mm. prefer, do you find like it inhibits things like fat loss? Yeah, I think that's really getting down to the minutiae. It depends if somebody's really struggling, maybe I would look at sugars on that level. But as well, if somebody has a sugar addiction, I'd be really hyper vigilant about where we were getting sugars in because you know, we don't want anything. And there's a difference between, emo we didn't talk about it today, but there's a difference between sugar addiction and emotional eating. They're two different psychological processes. And so it would depend on the individual. But um, but yeah, I think for the most part, that would be okay unless somebody was going through a really, really challenging mm. fat loss journey. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Well, we'll have to get you back then, Matty, to talk about sugar addiction versus, versus emotional eating because that sounds that like sounds a... Awesome. Uh, yeah, a rabbit hole to go down. Where can people find you? I want to link to this in the show notes. Um, it's been so great to have you on today. I could talk for hours. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, likewise. I could talk with you forever. So um, to find me, so Instagram is always a good place. So just at Maddie Lansdowne. And I also have a Facebook group uh, for healthy, busy mums that are trying to reclaim their health and their self-confidence. So um, that's where lots of people come and join me. And what's the name of your Facebook group? So it's reclaim your health and body confidence oh, is, okay. for healthy, busy mums. Yep. Oh, it is actually called that. That is the name. Amazing. Yep. We will link yep. to that in the show notes. And then your and website. The podcast. And the podcast. Yes, how to not get sick and die um, as well, which I had the pleasure of being interviewed on as well. So that was fun. Um, yeah, it was awesome. We will link. Yeah, it was amazing. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your expertise and wisdom. It's been amazing. Thanks so much for inviting me on, Angela. I've loved it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. Please make sure that this just doesn't become some form of shelf help. Take one thing that you learned today and start putting it into practice and share it with me on Instagram if you like at Angela S. Foster. Accountability is amazing. You can also join me in my Facebook group, Female Biohacker. Um, but the more we can kind of help each other and help transform the, our own health and the health of our friends and family, the more of a dent we can make in the world. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please also share it with someone that you think might also enjoy it. Thank you so much for listening. As always, the show notes will be over on my website, angelafosterperformance.com forward slash podcast, and you can drown, download the transcript there as well. Thanks again for listening. I will catch up with you next week. Thanks for listening. Remember to review and subscribe. You can grab the show notes, the resources and highlights of everything Angela mentioned over at AngelaFosterPerformance.com. You can also snatch up plenty of other goodies, including the highly helpful Angela Recommends page, which is a list of everything she personally recommends to optimize your mind, body and lifestyle.